Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Fans, as I've told you before, TikTok has been such a goldmine for me, not only of ideas, but of finding new people who I just realize are have incredible things to say, great perspectives, and people I want to bring on the podcast. And that's what I'm going to get to do today. Caged Bishop Cosplay, you may have seen them on TikTok, on Twitter, or on their uh, podcast, Blurred Perception. They have been talking about great things about fandom and race and how we interact with each other as fans and how we can be better about that. Topics that I really love. And so I'm so glad to have them on the podcast today. Uh, Cage Bishop, say hello and tell us a little about yourself. Hi, everybody. I'm Cage Bishop Cosplay, uh, also known as Perception Blurred. Uh, or the unapologetically blurred. <laughs> uh, I have been cosplaying for the better part of, I'd say, 12 years now, and I've been podcasting mm-hmm. for the better part of five-ish, not starting Perception Blurred until 2020, but I had a former show with some friends before that, and that just kind of fell to the wayside, because, you know, life happened. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. Well, and this is a perfect episode now, because just recently we released an episode on my other podcast, Star Wars Universe, specifically about cosplay there. So I'm excited to talk to you about all the things you're doing. And let me kind of just start by talk to us about yourself as a fan. I've seen you talk about a number of different things. I think I see you wearing an Avengers t-shirt right now. Yeah. Uh, although I might have embarrassed myself. Where where did you kind of get started as a fan? And what are the, the fandoms you kind of think of yourself as most in? Okay. So, well, my fandom history goes back uh, for almost the full 40 years of my life. Uh, my dad... Mm-hmm. And my mom are major geeks. My mom's a geek in her own right with certain things. She's not a huge sci-fi or fantasy nerd, but she has her things. My dad is where I learned all my sci-fi and fantasy and action film stuff. And he was always a fan, so he got my brother and I into that as uh, very, very young children. I um, started my major fandoms with all things 80s giant robot. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Transformers, Voltron, GoBots. Yes, GoBots. I was a fan of GoBots. Yep. Uh, all that type of stuff was my wheelhouse. And, um, as I said in my origin story video on TikTok this past week, um, my big first memory was I was two years old. My brother was just born to get me out of the hospital, a manic two-year-old running around and to let my mom and my Mm -hmm. baby brother rest. My dad took me to the theaters to see Transformers, the movie, and the rest is history. (laughs) Like it just fell into place from there. And anything that kind of correlates along with that type of genre, like, uh, so Transformers, you know, Ghostbusters, anything sci-fi really was my thing. And Mm -hmm. then we got into the 90s with Power Rangers and X-Men, and my dad started me and my brother on comics. And I'm just into a little bit of everything, you know? Like, if it's got some kind of connection to the greater sci-fi world or, like, even some fantasy in some way, shape, or form, I dabble in. I love that. I love that. And I I love when we get stories about how our parents helped get us involved because I think... There's often the perception, you and I are of similar generations, and I, I think a lot of times there's a thought that our generation is kind of the, you know, people in their 40s or whatever, was kind of their first of the, like, real nerd generations. And, like, you know, my mother was a huge Star Trek fan. She wasn't, I think, geeky in a lot of other ways, maybe about cooking, but it's a whole other <laughs> kind of thing. And she was, like, she wasn't super into the science of it, but as a young kid... She would sit me down and we'd watch episodes of the original series. This was before Next Generation came on. And then she would ask me about the kind of questions it raised, you know, about like religion and like, you know, and race and gender and all these things. 
And that was kind of my first introduction to the idea of that spaceships and phasers and people with pointy ears <laughs> could also be ways to really inform us about how we live in the world and our ethics and morals and stuff like that. So, yeah, I just love hearing it when it comes from the parents. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. My mom and my dad have always um, encouraged our creativity and encouraged our, our curiosity. Uh, my mom will be the first to tell you, you know, honestly, I grew up, my brother and I just grew up with our mom. Uh, my, our, our parents separated at a very young age. Uh, my dad is still a part of our life. But my mom always will tell people that she didn't sugarcoat anything for us. So if we had a question mm -hmm. based on watching something on television or based on playing a video game, she was there to answer those questions and to teach us the difference between fantasy and reality, much like I do with my daughter now. My daughter mm -hmm. could watch or play just about anything she wants to, to a degree now. You know, things are a little bit more detailed than when we were kids growing up. Yep. So there's still some stuff my daughter can't play. But if she were to get into it, and had a question, I'd be there to answer it for her and be realistic and be logical about it. You know, you, you can't hide these things from kids and expect them to not fall into it some way. So that's that was my yeah. mom's philosophy. And that's how she raised us. And she just said, hey, this is fake. This is real. Don't do this because in the real world, there are consequences for it. Right. You mean you can't solve all your problems by just jumping on top of them and running from the left side of the screen to the right that, side of the screen? As much <laughs> as I would like to. <laughs> yep. I hear that. I hear that. Well, and there's so much that I want to talk about, but I want to kind of further set the scene with people. So what is a blurred? I think a lot of fans have probably heard that term. Some may well have not, but a lot of people haven't really thought too much about it. Uh, what What is a blurred? And what does that mean to you? Because I know that's an important part of your kind of fandom journey. Yes. Okay. So a blurred is a portmanteau of the words black and nerd, um, spelled mm -hmm. B-L-E-R-D. Um, and it is basically that. Um, it's a sub-genre of African-American culture um, or actually world black culture, to be honest, because there are blurs mm -hmm. all across the planet. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me is <sighs> there was a time, and I mean, I've seen this going around a lot on TikTok lately, actually in the last couple of days, to where being black and nerdy was something that was made fun of and it was stigmatized. Um, yep. Thus, I mean, like, you know, that's where the Steve Urkels of the world come from in the old TV show. Um, mm -hmm. and it was a thing that was looked down on as something that wasn't part of black culture. If you were nerdy, that was, you were considered the white kid of the black family or of the black yeah. group. And that was something that as I've gotten older and as other blurts have gotten older, we've separated ourselves from because it doesn't diminish our blackness being a nerd. It just means that we are allowed to like and love the things that we're into. And pardon me, I, um, share those things with the people around me. You know, yeah. I want people to understand that you can be black and be into hip hop and myself, the Power Rangers. You can right. be black and you can like Metallica and in the same breath, watch the Tyler Perry movies. You know, mm -hmm. those are things that are not mutually exclusive just because you're uh, of, of black descent. Like you can be into all of that and enjoy it and not let the world beat you down because of it, whether it's other black people, whether it's white people, whether it's Asian people, whatever, be blurred, be unapologetic, love who you are and love the people around you. Yeah. No, I love that. I love the way you talk about it because, you know, as a white person, there's a lot of that, of course, that I've never experienced, but I've seen it in others. I remember one of my best friends in my friend group in high school was black and he was yeah, often getting teased by the other black kids at our school because he was into the role playing games and, and goth lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. And it was only later, and this is kind of my own ignorance of realizing that like, 
you know, part of where that came from also was how incredibly white all the things that those things were, you know, that, that, you know, the, the superhero worlds and all those kind of things. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I, I've seen a way that it comes up a lot as well is also, I think the, you know, as you say, it's coming from both directions because it's, it, there may be some of the, like, you know, from, from other folks in your communities of like, why are you know all the nerd stuff? But also like when I see, you know, and I know this is a tendency I, I I would fall into that I've been trying to be much more careful of in later years of like, okay, there's, you know, if a podcast has a black guest on, it's to talk about Black Panther, you know, or when a black nerd comes out, the first thing they're asked about is Luke Cage and stuff like that. Right, right. Uh, that does happen all too often. Um, and I mean, honestly, aside from, I, as you know, Luke is my favorite superhero, but mm-hmm. aside from Luke Cage, like I grew up with the X-Men, I grew up with Spider-Man, I can talk to you about 90 Spider-Man cartoons. I can talk to you about Spider-Man comics. I can talk to you about X-Men characters that aren't Storm and Bishop uh, because I didn't have them all the time. Um, And a lot of people don't realize that, that like, you know, when I talk about Power Rangers, I don't have to talk about Zack. He was one of my favorites because I got to see a live action black superhero for the first time. But honestly, Jason was my favorite Power Ranger for the longest time. And it's not because he looked like me. It's because of what he represented as a leader and that positive role model, and that strong friend. So I was like, hey, that's my guy. I'm the Red Ranger. When we're playing Power Rangers in, you know, the, at the playground, I was the Red Ranger because I thought he was the coolest. Um, yeah. But like you said, the problem is being a black nerd in nerdy spaces, the first thing people want to talk to us about is, is black media, which is great if that's what's popular right then. Like if there's a new Black Panther right. movie out and you want to talk to me about it, fine. But if we're having a regular conversation, T'Challa shouldn't be the first thing that comes up, you know, like, yeah, I can talk anime. I can talk Final Fantasy. I can talk Lord of the Rings. I can talk all that stuff. I might not be super well versed in all of it, but I am a fan. So let's talk about it, you know, like, yeah, and I think that's such an important conversation to have because for myself, as a person who's white, as a person who's non-binary, as a person who's disabled, I often use a wheelchair, like, I often want to be careful not to say like, oh, the experiences of all different, you know, non-privileged groups are the same because they're obviously unique and different in different ways. And the, there's nothing, no time for the oppression Olympics or comparisons of the like. But there's definitely, I think, similarities people can hear and see. And I know, for myself at least, in listening to a lot of the conversation from black nerds such as yourself and some other great co- uh, content creators on there, it got me thinking about times when, like, you know, someone has... Uh, seen me in the wheelchair and a fan thing or something like that and the first thing they want to do is come up to me and ask me about like different disabled heroes and things like that and like on the one hand there's a great part of it of you know oh hey cool this is actually not a conversation most people get to have but also it's that same kind of tokenization of okay you think this is the part of my identity that you see you don't see all the other parts this is the part of my identity that is most visible to you and so you're going to assume that that's the fandom that I care most about. Exactly, exactly. And I, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, I do think it's lost on a lot of people that um, the the non-majority people, we are fighting a very, very, as you said, very similar battle. Not the exact mm-hmm. same battle, but we are fighting a very similar fight. And I think people need to realize that. And like, if I were to see you out at a con in a wheelchair, but you were like cosplaying, say you were co- cosplaying Commander Riker, I'm going to talk right. to you about Riker. I'm not going to be like, yeah. oh, well, you're in a wheelchair. You're clearly this character from Star Trek. No, I'd be like, hey, man, I love the Riker costume. That's dope. Cool. I'm glad you're a fan. What do you like most about the show? Blah, 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 blah. I try not to, like you said, generalize, generalize, generalize people and put them in a box. 
Um, one of the people that I've known for a while, uh, I'm going to name drop a little bit here. Uh, Go for it. Michael Nightmage Wilson. He's a cosplayer uh, from the Ohio area. The man mm-hmm. has hundreds upon hundreds of cosplays. One of the things that he st- shouts out is the fact that he is a black cosplayer, but he gets tired of hearing he's the black version of the character. And I get mm. that because he yeah. has like a, a, an uh, Oliver Queen. He has a green arrow and people are like, oh, you're black Oliver Queen. He's like, no, I'm just Oliver Queen. Or he'll have, yeah. um, he has a shredder. It's like, oh, you're black shredder. No, I'm just shredder. Like you, you don't have to put a qualifier in front of it because we're slightly different than you, you know? Yeah. I remember one of the things that I was most struck by uh, when Black Panther came out, and, uh, and this is just more of the cosplay stuff, is, uh, you know, I was in a neighborhood in New York City at the time in Brooklyn where tons of kids would go out and uh, in, not in, co- well, Halloween outfits, which I don't know if that's like six-year-olds learning cosplay, you know, whatever you call it. <laughs> but the number of white kids that I saw in Black Panther outfits. Yeah. And there wasn't blackface. There was none of that kind of nonsense. It was just the kids want to dress up like their favorite hero. And they didn't see it as I have to. It was just like, hey, T'Challa can be Black Panther. I want to be Black Panther as a six-year-old white kid. And I just, I loved that because that seemed, it, it's it's the flip side, but it's, it's that kind of like, it doesn't have to be about the race of the character for, for someone to enjoy it as a kid. Right, exactly. And that's the thing is a lot of people, again, miss that as well. Um. I had a friend ask me, a white guy, ask me if he could cosplay Killmonger the year that mm. the movie came out. And I was like, you can, but maybe give it a little bit. <laughs> Let us yeah. enjoy this for a bit first and then maybe. But as children, I love seeing yeah. kids embrace all of these characters because that shows you what the character actually means. That shows you the purity of the art form. You know, you see a little white kid that wants to be T'Challa in the same breath that you see a little black kid that wants to be uh, Thor, you know, like that happens. Right. These kids want to be these characters because they think they're cool, not necessarily because they are a reflection of themselves, but because they think they're cool. On that same token, I love seeing the kids that want to be the characters because they see themselves in them. Right. You know, I love watching my daughter watch Black Panther and she gets to see Shuri and Okoye and Nakia and, and Queen Ramonda and all of those strong, powerful black women get to be those characters. I loved watching Black Lightning with her and her getting to see Thunder and Lightning be badass teenage superheroes with their dad. I love watching uh, the uh, Ghostbusters answer the call and her getting to see four women get to be Ghostbusters. And that was the same feeling that I had when I was a kid watching Ghostbusters with my dad because as a little boy, I got to see four men, you know, kicking ass with Proton Pack. And my daughter gets to see that as a little girl now. And now with the new movie, you know, the little girl is yeah. the lead, so that's great. But it's just that that pure innocence of it yeah. can teach the world a lot. Yeah. If we took time out to watch kids more often in fandom spaces, I think we would solve a lot of the world's problems, honestly. If you just yeah. watch kids at Comic Cons, if you watch kids in a comic shop, if you watch kids in a toy store, it's about the purity of those characters and what they represent and what they mean to these kids. And as a fan base for all these things, I think we inherently forget that these things are for kids. Like, they may not seem like it, but Star Wars is a children's franchise. The Lord of the Rings was written as a children's franchise. People miss that because we have always loved them. And I'm not saying to stop loving them, but I'm saying, hey, take a step back, take a breath and realize that things aren't going to go the way we want them to all the time because our generation is aging out finally. 
Right. And, and these kids now are coming up and they're loving this stuff and they're appreciating this stuff and they get to see themselves represented now and they get to see their friends represented and they get to see all kinds of walks of life now because we're not just seeing, you know, the, the straight white male characters as superheroes with the minority characters mm-hmm. being the villains, you know, like right. we're, we're black, black people and LGBTQIA plus people are not relegated to just background characters anymore. Right. Um, we're getting in the forefront and we are being seen and our, our kids and our families get to see this. And I, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. No, I hear you. And I think there's something so important about that. Like with any of these communities, you have characters where there's a part of their identity that is a defining part of their character. You know, like I think like Luke Cage's blackness is an essential part of who he is. Absolutely. Um, you know, Shang-Chi's Asianness is an essential part of who he is. But then a character like um I can't forget his name, but the the agent played by Randall Park in um Oh Jimmy uh, Woo. He, Jimmy Woo, yeah. Uh he's a character, and I've heard his actor talk about like how important it is for him to be playing an Asian character in Marvel who's not a martial artist, who's not like he the actor who's playing him, and thus the character is Asian. But the Asianness isn't inherent to his character. And like, you know, he had talked about how with both that he loved Shang-Chi, but he thought it was important for both to be in the MCU. Exactly. Absolutely. And I love that. And that's again, to, to, to go back to Black Panther, that was the importance uh, importantness of that story was right. my brother and I talked about this at length. Um it didn't show black people as a monolith, it showed black people's potential as a people. It showed right. that. Even our bad guys were written very well. Killmonger was an excellent villain in the fact that where you looked at him for like a couple of seconds, you're like, eh, I kind of get why you're doing this. And then you're like, wait a minute, this guy has hurt thousands of people to get where he is just to do what he wants to do. Yeah. Maybe he's not who I thought he was, but like that's not a reflection of black people as, as, a, as a race. And what I loved is like there were no drug dealing. There were yeah. no gang banging. There was no police force that was shooting at random black people. It showed black people can be the hero and can tell the story without having those like inner city ghetto downtrodden elements. And when it showed the inner city, when it showed where, where Eric was raised, it didn't show it as a bad place to live. It showed it as just, hey, it's a, it's a high rise building where there, he's downstairs playing basketball while you find out that his father is actually a secret Wakandan spy, you know? <laughs> like, right. And I love that because I think with representation, people often get like, again, it can become very polarized. And I think there's kind of a middle ground between, oh, you know, why, you know, on the one hand, you get the the white folks who are like, well, oh, no, you should never race swap characters or like every or, you know, why can't a white person then play, you know, Killmonger or whatever it is. And 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 all the way to the other side. And the way I would look at it is something like, you know, you take a character named Killmonger. And I see that character on two levels. On the first level is the general experience of I have been shut out of the world that I'm supposed to be a part of, and I have been very badly treated by a community, and thus I want revenge against the community. Those are things that I can relate to. And then there are parts of his experience that are specific to growing up as a black man in Oakland, in that community, and then, you know, all the other stuff you were just talking about that I can't relate to, but then I watch that. I'm like, oh, okay, so here's this general story that I have experienced, 
told in a much more specific way in a specific context that I'm not part of, but I can still watch that and then learn from it as to how it fits in my own context. Because like to me, one reason I love Killmonger so much is because he reminds me so much of Magneto. I think in many ways, they're very similar characters. Magneto is that if Killmonger is the that in a black context, Magneto is that in a Jewish post-Holocaust complex. And for myself, as Jew, having a lot of Jewish family uh, and experienced anti-Semitism myself, like I relate more to Magneto, but I can see in Killmonger's story, okay, here's this general story. Now, every time you take that general story and put it into a specific context, it changes. It's like, what is similar? What is different? And how do we learn from that? Exactly. Like, I... I... I'm, I'm actually glad you brought up Magneto. Um, I know you saw my mm-hmm. helmet this week. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I love Eric as a character. I love him. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in modern comics. I'm not uh, up on all the X-Men stuff that's going on right now because there's a lot and it's very convoluted. But a lot of it can be boiled down to hashtag Magneto was right. Yep. Because Charles has shown that he is like not the uh, upscale citizen that he claimed to be in the mutant community and magneto was shown to be the hero that we knew he could be now i you don't always agree with the methodology of these characters either killmonger or magneto but their overall message resonates with a lot of people because you're like this is us if we're driven to the breaking point i get it i get it and Mm -hmm. as you said though i can i can relate to a certain part of the core of magneto's character but there are things about him as a jewish man that was a holocaust survivor uh, that I can't relate to, but right. I can respect. Yeah. And that's what people need to do is you take these pieces of these characters, excuse me, and you respect them and you you realize that it might not be the same journey that you're taking, mm-hmm. but you're on a very similar path. You yeah. are walking in a ge- the same general direction that they are. You might just not be going the same way, but that doesn't mean that these characters have to look different or be different for you to relate to them. And then I, I do understand. Um, well, no, let me rephrase that. I don't understand when people flipped out about Miles Morales becoming Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. It did not destroy or erase the character of Peter Parker. In the Ultimate Universe at that time, Peter was gone. He was killed off. Miles right. happened to be another character that stepped up. And then when they brought Miles to 616, Miles and Peter coexisted. So people got mad and up in arms about Miles Morales being Spider-Man, yet we had, what, a year and a half, two-year run of Ben Riley as Spider-Man before that. And yeah, people didn't mm-hmm. like the Clone Saga, but people love Scarlet Spider, so what's the difference? Yep. You know, and I just think that Stan Lee said it himself about Spider-Man and other characters. Anybody can be these characters. You're putting on the mask. Right. It's the same thing that DC feels with Batman, and that's why we got, you know, uh, Tim Fox as, as Batman recently in, in DC, um, because the cowl is the symbol. The mask is the symbol. Captain America's shield is the symbol. These symbols can be carried by anyone. And that is why right. the character themselves are important, but passing that mantle on makes sense. You know, it just, to me, like mm-hmm. people complaining about quote race swapping bothers me, or now, you know, the whole anti-M Shiyu movement that bothers me because it's like you guys oh, yeah. clearly don't read comic books because all of these characters existed before these movies came out. Yeah. All of them. I mean did. it's the same the same thing in you know my particular favorite uh fandom, Star Wars, where people will say, Oh my God, why are they putting all of this politics into Star Wars? And like 
go back and watch interviews with George Lucas in the early 1980s, and he's explicitly saying the rebels are the Viet Cong and the Death Star is America. Like, he's, you know, like, there's always been politics in these things. And one one thing that really kind of clicks for me as you're talking about them also is that I think one thing people forget is that the way different communities are viewed in the world changes over time. You know, I know that like, uh, like I've talked often with my, with my father and with pe- my, my father's parents were both dead by the time. My, uh, yeah. My grand, sorry again. my grandparents on my father's side were both dead by the time I was, you know, fairly young, but I've talked to other people in my family of that generation or, you know, from other families and just communities and stuff and, and come to realize that like, you know, for me, granted, I was an interfaith family. I'm part Christian. I'm now religiously Christian, but being born at least into a Jewish family, I never felt that my Judaism made me not white. My grandparents absolutely did. You know, at the time my grandparents were born in the 20s and 30s, if you were Jewish, even if you were Ashkenazi and very pale skinned, you weren't white. You know, that's just the the nature of those terms has changed. Right. Same with class and other things like that. And where I'm going with that is at the time that uh, Stan Lee and, and Kurt, Jack Kirby created Spider-Man, being a a white kid from a poor neighborhood in Queens, you know, maybe there's an implication of ethnicness. Maybe there's, a, you know, of like, you know, Catholic or, or Jewish or something like that. And that's something I've been argued about quite a lot. But certainly you were treated very socially differently than if you'd been born to rich parents in Manhattan. Yeah. And that was a very clear stratification that today in New York City doesn't exist in anywhere near the same way. And so to say... Peter Parker is always supposed to be kind of the outcast in a way that a kid born even poor in Queens isn't as much today as they were in the 60s when it was created. So let's make a new version of that character who kind of actually is a lot more similar to the Peter Parker of the 1960s and 70s. And I just I think that's something people forget all the time. And I love when it's when writers are really willing to wrestle with that. Right. Right. Absolutely. And it like like you were saying with Star Wars and um, I've had people. That got mad years back because, you know, Obama was on the cover of a Spider-Man book. And he's like, I just want my comics to stay politic free. And I was like, so you don't read comic books at all? Because, like, every comic yeah. book is political. Every yeah. single one of Down to Archie comics. Every comic is political in some way, shape, or form. That's the point of the media form. The literal first version, I think it's the first or, like, the second episode of Superman one of the villains he goes up against is a landlord mm-hmm. who's being like, who's trying to evict their tenants and using goons to do it. Yeah. Like literal, the first, you know, the first Captain America ever, he's punching Hitler right. before the United States is in the war and when it's still a political question. Right. It, it's, it's always just, been there. It baffles me. Like, you know, and then I had someone share a, a picture with me. He's a, a buddy of mine that uh, is a huge, huge X-Men fan. He's a much bigger X-Men fan than I am. But he's my go-to X-Men guru. If I have questions, I'm like, hey, bro, what's going on? And da 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 What do I need to read? Well, he showed me a picture from a fan group that got taken down. This guy actually made up a t-shirt and was going to go to a con and cosplay one of the members of the Friends of Humanity. You know, the mm. known hate group in the X-Men universe. And I was like, what made him think that was a good idea? Not my friend, but he showed me a picture that this guy had posted. Yeah. And I'm like, what made him think this was a good idea? I'm pretty sure I'm throwing hands if I see a guy like that in public because you're like, at that point, you're no better than a Nazi, in my opinion. Like, right. you want to cosplay a known member of a hate group. Like, I get, I honestly understand people that want to cosplay Red Skull. I get it. 
especially because Hydra separated themselves from the Nazi party. You know, especially in, in modern right. times, they made sure to go out of their way to be like, hey, we're not, that's not us. Mm-hmm. But I also do not understand why you would go out of your way to miss the message of an X-Men book and still call yourself a fan. The X-Men books yeah. have always been about diversity and about the minority experience and people get mad at that. And I am baffled by it. Like, I, I don't understand. I mean, let, let's go ahead and um, um, cards on the table and be blunt about it. We sell comic books at the shop I work at. A kid was coming in uh, in 2020 in a MAGA hat buying X-Men and buying Avengers comics. And I, I had to stop myself from asking him all the time, how are you reading these and completely missing the message? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I don't understand how you are getting into these books and you don't understand the message behind them unless you think the Sentinel program is a good idea. <laughs> it, it's like the cops who adopted the Punisher as oh. their symbol. When like the whole point is that the Punisher is wrong on some level, right. you know that like the vigilante justice that he's doing. Yeah, it's just it, it's baffling. And th- there are times where I do think like there's stuff, some stuff that I'll watch where I'm like, I think you as the author were too subtle, you know. And I think you as the author hold some responsibility for the fact that people. But then yeah, some of the stuff like the X Men, it's like the blinders you have to have on to claim this, right? But I think that's unfortunately what some people can do is they can be like, you know, I, I just love the spectacle of it. And I missed and I skipped the politics entirely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same with the Punisher logo thing. It's funny you mentioned that because my wife, every time she sees a, a thin blue line Punisher logo, whether she's on her way to work or out and about, she takes a picture mm-hmm. of it and sends it to me. And she goes, I just want to ruin a stranger's day so bad <laughs> because she wants to go up to them and say, so you don't read comic books, do you? The Punisher yeah. would hate cops and he would hate you. He'd probably target you because you had that logo on your car. <laughs> My favorite way that fandoms and memes and stuff like that have done this is there's a thing that I see in the queer community a lot. Uh, when you see the the thin blue line, like it's the it's the American flag, but as the blue lives matter nonsense. And people call it a, oh, this person has has forgotten to fill out their do-it-yourself queer flag. <laughs> and so they just start coloring the other lines with the rainbow colors. I love that. They'd be like... I assume he meant it to be a queer pride flag. And it's just like that, you know, that's, that's fandom at its best. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is. It is. And, you know, it just, it baffles me so much that these people, no matter how much the, the I mean, you know, Marvel did a whole issue with the Punisher yelling at cops for using his logo. And yeah. they still ignore it. They think that that's the, the woke agenda these days. And it's like, it's not. That's not. Frank Castle killed cops way before you guys started using the logo. I don't yeah. understand why you, oh, it's, I do understand. You don't read comics. You've yeah. watched a movie or a clip or two of a movie and you think you get it when you don't. Yeah. Like I, and I don't, well, I don't expect everybody to, that is a fan of the MCU or the DCEU to read every single comic book. I don't expect everybody to read comics all the time. If you don't want to read comics, that's fine. You just want to be a movie fan or a cartoon fan. That's fine. But still respect the identities of these characters, yeah. respect the stories that these characters are telling, understand that there's a reason behind all of them and it might be political and you might not agree with it. So maybe pick somebody else. Yeah. Like if you want, people don't realize that the Tony Stark we got in the MCU is not the same Tony Stark from the comics until recent memory. And that's not a bad thing. They evolved the character from modern times to make him a more sensible character, make him realize the Arab is ways as a weapons dealer. They don't yeah. realize that 
that didn't happen overnight. It wasn't one issue. And then Tony was always like, I'm giving up the weapons game. No, that took time. Even after getting kidnapped and making the Mark One, that still was a buildup before we got to the Tony Stark we know and we loved yeah. at the end of Endgame. Um, and again, going back to the, the fact that like all these alpha male dude bros want to be mad at female characters as if they don't exist and haven't, you know, outside of the male gaze. Like, yeah, am I going to complain, honestly, about a nine-foot-tall Jennifer Walters twerking on the TV show? Absolutely not. No. I don't understand <laughs> why people did. I was like, she's twerking mm-hmm. with Megan The Stallion. What's wrong with you? I'm enjoying this. <laughs> and, um, and I loved the show for what it was. It did, it did exactly what it sought out to do, and people missed the point because they were mad because they were who they were talking about. The same thing, yeah. and not to go too deep into the you know uh, movie ter- territory and everything, but the same thing, I told my wife and my daughter, we went to see the Barbie movie. Any guy that watches, the, any person that claims that is a cis male or is uh, uh, male identifying that watched the Barbie movie and is angry about it is exactly who the movie was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it and I was like, this is hilarious. I love everything about it. And Ken is supposed to be Logan Paul. I get it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like, I mean, like, you, I haven't done official coverage on the Barbie movie in part because of the strike, but honestly, even before it, I was like, I'm masculine identified. Like, my voice is not the one that's needed. Right. But, but then I saw the movie and I was like, you know, when the strike's over, I want to make content about how I know that women are bringing their daughters to see this. And I think that's fantastic. But I want young men, I want boys, like, you know, all kids, but especially like masculine identified kids, you know, six to 12 to see this movie. Because frankly, if I had seen Ken's journey as a kid about how you don't have to define yourself by which women are interested in you, and you don't have to try and see every other man around you as competition, and basically all the things it did to break down the toxic masculinity that I was taught as a kid my life in my 20s and 30s would likely have been far, far better. My friend, you, know, you hit the I, nail on the head with that. As, as, a, as a cis male, uh, as a cis straight male, I watched that movie and I, I felt the same way. I yeah. had like a lot of my nephews and my baby cousins and everything. I was like, I really hope they watch this movie because yeah. there's so many messages, particularly to go back to what we we're talking about with Blurred them, particularly in the black community, there are so many messages from that movie that need to be seen because, you know, I was listening to music at work yesterday and um, I think it was Marvin Gaye to where he said, a man's not supposed to cry. And I was like, why? Yeah. Who taught you that? Whoever taught you that was wrong because you have to show your feeling. You don't have to be that hard rock all the time. Do I, do I credit myself as a provider for my family? Yes, I do. Um, but on that same note, my wife makes more than I do. So am I going to sit here and act like I'm the breadwinner? No, my wife is, but I do what I can. And I am the protector of our family. Like if anybody comes through that door, that's not supposed Mm -hmm. to, they got to get through me before they get to my wife and my daughter. But on that same note, if I'm having a bad time, if I'm having a, a, a rough mental health day, if I am just sad and tired, they know it because I talk to them about it. You know, if yeah. something's actually bothering me, we have a conversation about it. I can talk to my wife. I can talk to my daughter. She's 11 years old. I can talk to her. I can call my brother. I can call my father. I can call my mother. And we can have these conversations. And my parents know now that these are all things that they should have been doing. 
And, and that's yeah. not to discount anything that they did do. Don't get me wrong. But that now they know this when I'm almost 40, that we need to break away from the generational trauma, from, from these generational curses of acting like men weren't allowed to show emotions and women had to be subservient and had to be the ones in the household. I'll be damned if I teach my little girl that. If my, go- if my daughter decides she doesn't want to get married, doesn't want to have kids, doesn't want to be at home all the time, she wants to go to the moon and you know solve the alien conundrum, I don't care. I'm proud of yeah. whatever she does. And that's the way it should be in every one of these households. And that's what Barbie was showing us with the Kins and Alan, who was arguably the best character in the movie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I will say us non-binary masks have 100% claimed Alan. You know? I, you know, I get it. I get it. And more, more power to y'all. because Alan was dope. I just, I did not see that out of Michael Sarah. Like I loved him in Scott Pilgrim because you're yeah. supposed to, but you're also supposed to hate him. But, but seeing him as Alan, where he was playing Michael Sarah, but he wasn't playing Michael Sarah as he was that nerdy, not quite good enough male figure in that community. Right. But then he kicks the crap out of all the security guards. You're like, that's the guy. Yeah. That's the guy. Well, and I love what you said, because, and I think it really kind of illustrates one of the points you were making before, that, that basically we've been circling around a word that I was put on the table, intersectionality, you know, in that like, there's a conversation, like I think race is a very small part of Barbie. But there's a conversation that Barbie is very much having about gender and about gender roles. And you and I, two people who have different relationships to masculinity, but are both on the masculine side of things, and also who come from different racial backgrounds, can both talk about like all the ways we both connected to it, as well as like you were talking about how there are some ways that is particular to the black experience of masculinity that are part of your version of it, and that are, are different from mine, but also can help to inform mine. Because I had so many of the same feelings that you were talking about. Um, and funny because I've been like tearing up three times during this podcast, you know, about the crying nonsense, but I am a community organizer by trade. My spouse is a computer programmer. There is no world. She could go to work for like the lowest paid part of her profession. I could go to work for the highest paid part of my profession. She's still going to be making two or three times what I make. Cause just, we have different brain sets, different skills, different things we love. I do most, so basically she works full time. I work about half time and I, you know, do the, most of the cooking around the house and a lot of the cleaning. We don't have kids, but I probably would be a, you know, a stay at home dad if that was more what was happening. And yeah, there was some weirdness around that. And people, you know, there was about two years or so when we'd be out at a party and someone would ask her what she does. And then when someone would ask me what I do and I had to kind of work through why does it bother me so much to have to admit that I'm not like the hardworking bread earner by those definitions that my spouse is seen as. Because actually, I'm just as hardworking. I'm just doing the work that is much more devalued. Why? Because it's generally the work that women would normally be doing. Right. And all this is part of that Ken story, you know? Like, I I haven't gotten it yet because, again, I'm going to wait till after the strike. But I'm 100% buying the I am Knuff kind of st- shirts, you yep. know, because yeah. – <laughs> Yeah. It's it, and I I just love that we can have that conversation of hey he, like I think you could get a bunch of men around a table together and say hey let's all talk about what did Ken's story mean to us and part of that conversation is here's the things that we all related to and then there's the conversations about like hey here's how I as a black man saw the story and I here's how I as a person in a wheelchair 
which is so tied into masculinity, saw that story. And Harris says someone else would say, as a gay man, I saw that story. And I just, to me, that's the conversations more than anything that I want to have, where we can say, what's the thing that unites us? And we can be okay agreeing on all that while also saying, let's be careful not to speak for everybody. But also that doesn't mean like your version of Ken's story, my version of Ken's story aren't completely different. It's how can your understanding of Ken's story better inform and help me to better understand my own version of it? But absolutely. I I hundred percent agree with you. Um, there is no right or wrong way to describe the journey we took with that, with all of those characters, as long as you, we all come out on the same side of it. And that right. is that patriarchy as a whole is toxic. Yeah. Um, and we all have, our different struggles with it. We all have our different journey with it, but as long as we come out on the other side of it and can have a conversation and say, okay, this is what I took from it. This is what you took from it. How does this make us better as people? Um, How can I watch this movie and realize aside from the entertainment value of, because it was hilarious and it was a great film, but I cried during a movie about a sentient doll, you know? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) me too. um, But it, it's, leaving so many people i think better for watching the movie just for getting to see it and like you said more people need to see it more mask presenting people need to watch that movie and go oh shit um i get it now it's not just about a doll it's not just about playing with toys it's not a glorified toy commercial as you know most movies to be blunt shot through the male gaze are (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like we can love the MCU, but there's merchandise for them to sell. I love Transformers. I love everything about Transformers. At the end of the day, Transformers is a giant toy commercial. You know why? <laughs> because it works for me. It works on yeah. me all the time. I know that. So I can take lessons from each of those things. But going into a Barbie movie, I didn't feel the need, of, aside from like needing to buy a Ken Nuff t-shirt or hoodie at some point in time, mm-hmm. I didn't feel the need to rush out and be like, I got to go get my daughter the the dolls from all from this movie. I got to go get, you know, all the collectibles from this movie because it's going to be really valuable and it's going to be really cool. I I left that theater and I was like, "Huh. I feel like I just had like a great experience and I feel mm-hmm. like a better person because of it and I was with my family and one of our best friends watching it. So it made it that much better." Yeah. Um and I just I can't wait for it to come out on digital or hard copy so I can watch it with my mother. Pardon me, because I think mm. my mom and my daughter watching that together, my mom is going to go, damn, I did not expect that from a Barbie movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. And my baby brother, my brother's going to love it too when he gets a chance to see it. Uh, my brother is a, uh, is a gay black man, and I think mm-hmm. there are things about it that he will see that I didn't understand, and we'll yeah. talk about it. And, you know, it's the same experience, yet again, coming full circle to the geekiness and the geekdom and everything of, of all of it. It's the same experience as the two of us growing up loving X-Men together is there are things about X-Men that I see that don't necessarily impact him, but there are things about X-Men that he sees that impact him that don't necessarily impact me. And we talk about it and we learn from it and we learn from each other. And we've had conversations about it to where it's like, okay, well, blah, 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 X, Y, Z, A, B, C, one, two, three, you get this. I got this. What does this mean as a whole? What, what can we do? What are people missing about the narrative of this movie? And we talk about it and, you know, people then, see it that we talked to we're like oh well you missed this point of it uh, I, yeah. I had the conversation not to jump around too much um but uh when zootopia came out i had a conversation mm-hmm. with a friend that had seen it and what she saw from the movie 
oh my God, that ring camera. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, but Zootopia. She, what she got from the movie was it was just a badass story about a woman that got to be, you know, the hero of her own story. And I said, you're right. I said, but the movie was also about institutionalized racism. And yeah. she was like, well, I didn't get that. And I was like, well, I, I did. I was like, what do you think Predator versus Prey stood for? <laughs> I was like, it was classism yeah. and racism. That's what that movie was about. And it's a very good way to have those conversations with children when you watch it. You're like, oh, hey, this is what this means. This is what this allegory meant. This is what this character represented. And this is why uh, 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 the fox, I can't remember his name to save my life right now. But this is why his character was the way he was, because he was mm-hmm. supposed to represent that ideal of it to where um, we are now uh, seeing that he's not the swindling bad guy. He actually was a good person at the heart of it. And Judy, right. the main character, had to break her own worldview to see the rest of the world outside of Zootopia and see what it meant for everybody. You know, she wasn't just a yeah. cute little... She literally says the cute is our word in the movie. And I had to explain to people that that was about racism. And people yeah. still missed it. I mean, I had the same experience because... Um, I don't know how much a Star Wars fan you are, but have you seen Andor? Yes. Yes. So I watched that and I got to talk about it on the Star Wars podcast with a number of great creators. And there's so much of it that I was getting. But two of my favorite podcast guests and favorite TikTok creators are uh, two people named uh, Written in the Star Wars and uh, 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 Jedi Starkiller. I'll uh, link to them in the show notes. Uh, Both of them, uh, either themselves or their family, uh, immigrated from uh, Mexico to the United States. And they were talking about how they see Andor through that lens of his character being an immigrant, you know, in that he, you know, he, he and his people spoke a language that we as the audience didn't get to hear and that he was basically, you know, kind of like kidnapped, forced, adopted into a non-immigrant family when he was, you know, rescued from his planet. And they just brought this level of analysis that I would have never seen. Right. And, and to me, I felt like that made my life as a fan so much better. And yeah, I love what you're saying there because that's, to me, that's the whole point is that like the these stories, yeah, there's great fight scenes and there's great costumes and there's, you know, the, the nine foot tall woman twerking with Megan the Stallion and I'm <laughs> loving all of that. But also to me, what makes these stories so powerful is when, yeah, they sneak, they, they're not hitting you over the head with a message, but there's a message there that different people are going to get different parts of. And the best, the, to me, that's the very best part of fandom is when we can get together and say, oh, hey, here's this part of the story that I saw. But I can then say, oh, cool, but here's a part of the story that I saw. How can we all learn from the conversation? Right, right. And that's why, honestly, I think, and as, as a man, you know, there's only so much of this I have a right to say, but that's why I think, uh, in my opinion, Wonder Woman was a better uh, movie for feminism versus Captain Marvel. Now, mind you, I liked Captain Marvel. I liked it mm. a lot. But I felt like Marvel was intentionally trying to beat the message over your head with it. Um, yeah. And again, I, I enjoyed the movie, but Wonder Woman spoke for itself. We didn't need the quippy smile more from a guy to mm-hmm. Diana in that movie because Diana was just a badass. Um, Carol is a badass, and I loved her more in Infinity War and Endgame, and I can't wait to see her in the Marvels uh, compared to... Uh, Captain Marvel meets Nick Fury in the movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. Again, I liked it for what it was, but there were things about it where I was like, that was a little much. That was a little on the nose. And I mm-hmm. feel like Marvel did it on purpose because of all the criticism they got for it. 
Um, right. Brie Larson is absolutely wonderful. I think she did an amazing job. And again, it's it breaks my top 10, honestly, for what it was, because we got yeah. a lot of backstory. But um, I do I enjoyed Wonder Woman better to see them like, what, a year or two yeah. apart? Wonder Woman was a more like Diana in the uniform or out of the uniform. Like you're like, I respect this woman. Wonder Woman 84. Yeah. That's a holy, that's a whole different story. We won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but well, it was a very eighties movie yeah. in that it told women you can have your career or your love, but not both. Right. But that's all yeah. it was Wonder yeah, Woman meets lifetime. That's what yeah. <laughs> with Steve Trevor back. No, no, no we're not going to do it. No, no, we're not going to do it. it we're not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like i just i again i enjoy watching these movies and i enjoy getting to see these strong characters um through everybody's lens and and mm-hmm. i have i have the uh the privilege of watching a lot of this stuff with my 11 year old little girl who is incredibly smart um incredibly talented and she gets to tell me thing the same thing like i said watching movies with my brother watching movies with my little girl and my wife my little half black daughter gets to watch these movie and tell me things. Hey dad, that's what this means. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Cause now I'm learning from my child as much as she's learning from me yeah. watching these films or playing these games or, or w- watching these TV shows or, or reading these comics together or watching these cartoons. Um, and to, to see that and to see, to get the familial aspect of it uh, and things like moon girl and double dinosaur or black Panther, mm, black lightning. Yeah. Um, and Star Wars, like my daughter loved Ray. Mm, and the yeah. second, the second all three of those movies were finished, that's what I saw them for. Was because yet yeah. again, my kid got to see the, like, admittedly enough, they made me mad by putting Finn on all the posters as if he was going to be a Jedi and then not mm-hmm. making him a Jedi. That bothered me. But the argument where people are like, oh, Ray is too strong. She only trained for a little while. I'm like, so did Luke. Yeah. <laughs> Your argument's invalid. They basically told four, five, and six over through a modern lens in seven, eight, and nine, and people hated it. And I was like, if we got new movies like we did with one, two, and three, you would have hated them too. I understand yeah. the fair criticism of these movies. But again, at the end of the day, my daughter watched seven, eight, and nine, and after seven, immediately wanted a Ray costume that Halloween. She wanted yeah. a lightsaber. She wanted Ray's staff. Uh, and then she got to see when we were going to other cons, she got to see other Ray cosplayers and she wanted to take pictures with them because that character resonated with her. And I think that's right. something that we miss as fans, as fan and fandoms as a whole. Like I said at the beginning of the show, these are children's franchises. Yeah. We need to not argue about them. Um, if we don't like them, that's fine. Move on. Yeah. I don't need to harp on it for 10 years because I didn't like something move on. There's a lot of stuff I don't like, and I'll talk to my family about it. I might make a post like, hey, you know what? This got a three out of 10 from me, but I move on. That's yeah. what we need to do. I'm so with you that. And that's a good way to transition to kind of last thing I want to talk to you about, about what we do with fandom. I want to say one thing quick on what you're saying before, is that I, I have a somewhat different view of Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel than what you're saying. But I think we're, we're in similar places, But because I love Captain Marvel. I, I actually like that movie a lot more than Wonder Woman. But to me, I think more than anything, I think fandom needs both. Because like, remember how before we were talking about how sometimes the point is there, but the idiots are going it, to, it's subtle and the idiots are going to miss it. No, a lot, I read a lot of people, kind of like you're talking about the MAGA hat person talking about X-Men. I saw a lot of posts from people making really sexist takes on why they loved Wonder Woman. 
no one missed the point in Captain Marvel, you know? And when I saw, to me, when I, I, I remember watching, like, the way women talked about uh, Wonder Woman, and some people were like, this is the best thing I've ever seen, and some were like, this could have gone so much further, I wish it hadn't tried to be so subtle. And then when Captain Marvel came out, and some were saying, this is my story in a way Wonder Woman never was, and others were saying, like, it didn't have to be, like, hitting me over the head quite the same way. And to me, the two of them are, like, this wonderful picture of, like, yeah, each of us individually is going to respond differently to them. And, like, some of us are going to like one more than the other. But, but to me, it's not about which one's better. It's about I want both in the fandom. You know, I want the fairly, like, to me, um, I want um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where race is kind of like a small part of his journey, but it is played up a lot, uh, versus, you know, Luke Cage and T'Challa and, and you know, whatever characters it is. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I see where you're coming from with that for sure. Uh, I mean, it's like the duality between, and I, they're two different studios, but like between Black Panther and Black Lightning. Um, whereas Black yeah. Panther was inherently what we call ultra black or super black to where that was like the pinnacle of blackness. That's what yeah. black people can be. But then you have street level black with Black Lightning to where it was like, the it's set in the fake city of, Gar of uh, I can't remember where it is now, but it's uh, basically Cleveland because that's where Tony Isabella is from. And... Mm -hmm. um, you know, you get the hood aspect, but you get that positiveness of it too. And you yeah. get the drug dealing and you get the gang banging, but they don't, they do it in such a way to where it wasn't illustrated as like cartoony or, or corny. It was real life, even though there were superheroes and superhumans in it. Um, so I kind of get that. You get the duality of the two. Um, again, I, I, like I said, I loved Captain Marvel. Um, yeah. And I definitely see the aspect of, like you were saying, where sometimes you need to be smacked in the face with it. Because mm -hmm. I, I definitely get that. A lot of times you do need that handprint across your face that sizzles and you get that little yeah. burn of, oh, oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. Because sometimes the subtlety is just not enough to where you're like, oh, I didn't get that. Well, like I was saying with Zootopia to where my one uh, female friend didn't understand where I was coming from with the institutionalized racism of it. That's not what she saw from the movie. So I guess yeah. sometimes if you just say it, yeah, you, you need to just come out and say, hey, nope, that's what we're talking about. That's what this is about. So, yeah, no, totally. Well, and so let's, let's kind of wrap up with uh, this question about like how we are as fans. Cause I know that's something you talk about a lot. You do this great series of no hashtags, only facts um, that I love. And, and I want to talk more about what you're saying there about like being willing as fans to let go when we don't like something, because I think there's, there's such a difference between conversations and, and the arguing and the fighting and where I see this most is, like, I think it is totally legitimate to say, like, hey, I don't like where this story wound up. Or I think there's, like, aspects of the story that are homophobic or ableist or racist or sexist or whatever it is. And that's a good conversation to have. But I also think that there's times and place, you know? And I think that one of the things, and Star Wars, I think, is unfortunately the perfect example of this. For about five years after Last Jedi, I, I'm bad at math, but for a while after Last Jedi came out, and it's dumb, it's it's dimmed down somewhat, but it's still there. You could make a post if you made a post about like I love Luke's journey in Last Jedi, and someone wants to argue with it, fine. Uh, if you said like you know I love Ray and like my daughter, you know, and and someone wants to talk to you about it, sure. But then when someone comes in with the, like, very old, we've all heard it before, arguments of, like, oh, Ray is just this badly written character, she's a Mary Sue, all that nonsense, like, what's the point of bringing that up? Right. And, and to me, where it goes so much further is, like, 
like as an example, I made a post about how I loved seeing Admiral Akbar in The Last Jedi because I had I had an Admiral Akbar costume for Halloween when I was six. And so I strongly identified with that character because I loved him so much. Just be, and I just was talking about like the joy of having a character, a, co- a costume when you're six years old and how that plays out for you 35 years later watching a movie. And I had like dozens of people commenting, oh, but Akbar's story was ruined because it had to be all about Ray instead or Leia. And I was just like, dude, we all know you feel this way. Right. Why do you have to make this point and why do you have to bring it into conversations that have nothing to do with that? Right. So to 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 uh to piggyback on that, as you said, all facts, no hashtag. Mm-hmm. Um people just want to be contrarian. And these yep. people just they hate everything just to hate it. Not because they genuinely dislike dislike it, but because they don't like it because it gets them views, it gets them comments, it gets them engagement because Rage farming is easier for them to do than to have a general positive take of something. Even if you don't like the entire, like you said, you liked Akbar because it was General Akbar because you got to see Akbar again. Yeah, I loved Lando coming back because I got to see Lando again. Yeah, that doesn't take away from the rest of the movie, or the things we don't like about the movie doesn't take away from seeing our favorite characters again. One right. of the things that I'm having. I am struggling with these days. And I tell people this, I love individual fans. I hate fandoms as a whole. Um, Mm. As a Power Rangers fan, this is the big thing for me, as I said. These are children's franchises. We have had people in the Power Ranger community actively attacking the showrunner of the last two seasons because they don't like decisions that were made. Because, oh, you didn't do what I would have done oh, I would have done this differently. You should have done this. You could have done this. And it's like, none of you could have done that because if you could, you'd have the job. Mm -hmm. I need people to, if you don't like something, don't consume it. You have that option. Yeah. If you don't like a book, don't read it. If you don't like a movie, don't watch it. If you don't like a video game, don't play it. If you are actively spending the money on these things just to complain about them, you're a fan. Yeah. Whether you act like it or not, you are. You secretly love it, and you're just hating because you know you're going to get the feedback for that. You're going to get yeah. the two pennies from YouTube for posting a video saying you hated Star Wars 7, 8, and 9, and they, what you wish they had to kept the expanded universe. And while I understand people's feelings about that, shut up. <laughs> yeah. We... The, the expanded universe might not exist in, in movie form, cartoon form, or anything. The books and the comics still exist. You can still consume that media. The biggest phrase that I hate, that I absolutely hate, is it ruined my childhood. Because oh my unless they invented time travel and went back in time and destroyed what you loved from your childhood, it still exists and your childhood is still intact. It didn't ruin yeah. anything. Ghostbusters Answer the Call did not ruin one and two. Granted, was the new movie, was Afterlife better? Yeah, I think it was. My biggest problem with Answer the Call was it wasn't connected to the original two movies. I think it should have been. But let's be real. Ghostbusters 2 is kind of trash. We don't talk about that enough. But but if we're going to hate on it, hate on it. You don't have to consume anything you don't want to, especially as adults in these fan spaces. We still have the ability to watch the things we love. 
You don't like the fact that they cast Halle Bailey as, as Ariel and the live-action Little Mermaid? Don't watch it. Watch the original one. You don't like the fact that Will Smith is a genie in Aladdin? Don't watch it. Watch the original one. You don't like the fact that Rey is the most powerful Jedi that we've seen live-action? Don't watch it. Watch 4, 5, and 6. Watch 1, 2, and 3 that you claim to hate that something you love because you hate 7, 8, and 9. Like, you yeah. don't have to take time out of your day, out of your week, out of your month, out of your year to consume this shit if you don't want to. You're making an active decision to do that. And I think yeah. as fans, we need to call people out more often about it. Yeah. We need to stand up. And I'm not saying argue with people, fight with people. Like you said, like, if I make a post tomorrow that says, hey, Jason was my favorite Power Ranger, and somebody's like, but, you know, Tommy was the best, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to argue with you. That's your opinion. Yeah. That's fine. You like Tommy. Cool. Tommy wasn't my favorite. I love, rest in peace, JDF. I love the character, but he wasn't my favorite. I'm not going to argue with you about it because that's your opinion. I'm not trying to have a fight with you. If I say something that is factual, though, like, hey, I like the first Michael Bay Transformers movie because I really liked seeing Optimus as a long-nosed semi again, and you say, Optimus Prime was never a long-nosed semi, I can argue with you about that because I have proof that he was. Just because yeah. he wasn't after you dropped out of the fandom doesn't mean he wasn't. You're wrong. And I'm right. And I love that you keep bringing up the Power Rangers because I'll admit, I think in a lot of fandom circles, and I'm guilty of this as well, Power Rangers are the furries of geek fandom. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I say that also is like, I think that like the way a lot of like sexuality communities treat the furries is not cool either. Like one of the things that communities love to do is to say, people are going to attack me. So I need to find someone else who's even more out there than I am. And I need to throw them under the bus to say, look, we're not them. Right. And talking to you makes me be like, yeah, at some point I should go and like check out some Power Ranger stuff because for too long I've been in spaces and probably participated in it where we'd say like, okay, well, yeah, I know you think we're weird about how much we love these things, but at least we're not the Power Rangers fans, you know, like it was that, that dynamic. And in terms of what you're saying about the attacks and all that, totally agree. And I, I think to me, people have to really separate. I think if, if you don't like Ray, if you don't like anything like that, if you want to put a post on your own social media, go for it. If someone posts an open question that says, hey, I want to have an honest discussion about what do people think about Ray, and you can contribute to that conversation, even if you have a negative opinion of Ray, without falling into sexist diatribes, without falling into like the same nonsense we've heard a million times, but you want to make actual critique of Ray, go for it. But when someone says, I love Ray, and as a young woman, this character really meant this to me, Going onto their post, especially if you're not a woman, so seeing a woman Jedi on screen didn't mean as much to you, that's not the place to do it. Exactly. You know, in the same way, like, I agree with you that I think Finn was badly treated. I think the fact that, like, the first one, he's kind of paired with a white woman, and then the next one, he's kind of paired with an Asian woman, and then the next one is like, no, 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 okay, we'll let him be paired with with another black person. Like, John Boyega's talked about that. There's all kinds of racism comments he's made but i'll also be the first to say when i saw finn holding a lightsaber there was no i was like oh cool a black jedi that'd be fun to see but there was no part of me that was like that's a jedi who looks like me and so because of that even if i disagreed with some of that stuff you know if you post on your page how important it was to you to see 
Finn holding that lightsaber as a black man, I have no place going in there and telling you you're wrong. Right. Because I need to start by saying, you're having an experience of the character that I don't get, or I, I, can, I can empathize with it, I can't sympathize with it, because it speaks to a longing that I've never had, because I've never had to have it, you know? Like, and, and I think that's something people forget all the time. Yeah, it's, it is something that people forget all the time. And our experiences, um, again, like you said, our experiences aren't going to be exactly the same, but yeah. you have to respect other people's experiences with these characters. Um, and you have to, as, as fans, we need to be better in the aspect that we don't need to attack actors, actresses, yep. writers, and directors for decisions that were made because you didn't like them. There's no reason that Kelly Marie Tran should have had to delete her social media. None oh, yeah, whatsoever. There's no reason that Brie Larson should have had to take a hiatus from social media. There's no reason that um, any of these actors and actresses should have to run away and hide because we hated the character. They played a they got paid to play a character. They might not and, have and liked I'll, that character, but they got paid to play a character. And I'll even talk about one where a lot of the fans of this podcast might agree with me in disliking stuff. I think that Zack Snyder fundamentally misunderstands Superman. Oh, he does. And to some extent, Batman. He does. I do not like Zack Snyder's take on those characters. And if I make my own content, or even someone says, hey, what did you think about Justice League? I will say that. Right. But I'm never going to tag him in those comments. I'm never going to attack him personally. Right. I'm never going to write letters to him. I'm, I'm, he, and I will start by acknowledging that I could study filmmaking for 20 years and not know as much as he does about the craft. Like, he is a very talented writer and director who makes choices that I don't like. And that I think that, you know, it's not my Batman. It's not my version of those characters, but I watched justice league, hated every minute of it. And then went home and turned on some of my favorite episodes of Batman, the animated series. And guess what? They were still just as good, right? Nothing was ruined about them. He did. He didn't take that experience away from you by making a movie, right? Like, yeah, it's a shocking aspect that that could happen, that you could, Go home and do a palate cleanser of after like Ghost Rider. Watch Ghost Rider in theaters. Hated every second of it. Went home, watched like classic X-Men cartoons, felt better about life. Um, the yeah. mod reason I went to see Ghost Rider 2 uh, in theaters. Came home and watched like a bunch of comedy specials because I was like, I need to get this out of my mind. That was stupid. Green Lantern, I got to see Green Lantern in a theater for free and came out and demanded my money back. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because it was so bad. And um, I love that Ryan Reynolds acknowledges that, but I've never faulted him for that movie. Yeah, like, I realized what was going on with Warner Brothers is that they were like, hey, the Dark Knight trilogy worked. Let's make everything dark and gritty with some comedy in it. And let's cast Ryan Reynolds and he'll do it. And, you know, that wasn't his fault. But you have to, as a fan, remember that, again, these are fantasy worlds. And if we want to not enjoy them, we're allowed to, but you don't need to write a 10-page essay about yeah. why Green Lantern is the worst superhero movie ever. You know, I, I also don't think it is, honestly. There's much worse. But, <laughs> but you need to understand that if, again, you write on... Like, I, I wrote a review of Smallville, the, the finale of Smallville when it came out, on my own personal Facebook page, what, 15 years ago when it happened? Um, yeah. And... I, met, I wrote a blog post about it, and I didn't like it, the ending specifically. But I didn't expect everybody to like send that to CW or Tom Welling or Michael Rosenbaum or any of those people and say, hey, 
this particular guy didn't like the end of your show, you guys should listen to him because he knows more than you as, as actors and as writers and as show. I don't want any of that because that's not what that was for. Yeah. You know, that was for me to just say, hey, this is why I didn't like this. If you get the chance to watch it, maybe you'll have a different experience with it than I did. I just didn't like it. And I understand. I know there are people that did like the end of it. And I don't argue with them about it because that's their prerogative. It's not that hard. We don't have to agree on everything. And as fans and as friends, you're not supposed to agree on everything. But sharing your experiences is what makes these shows, these movies, these cartoons, these comics, these novels, these video games, it's what makes them better. It's because like you might have seen something in a movie and experienced something with a movie that I didn't. So now we get to talk about it and I go rewatch it and I'm like, damn, you know, Ethical yeah. Panda was right, man. This is this. I get this now. It's a different experience for me. Yeah. Because of the way they saw this film. Now I see a part of it that I didn't see before. Or you might take something that I've said, and like you said, you might go watch some Power Rangers. Don't get me wrong. It's campy as hell. Some it's yeah. really, really hard to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but you might look at it, you know, through a different lens now and go, oh, I get why Bishop has still been liking this 30 years later. I understand. Yeah. Um, and, and you I might not, which is fine, you know? Yeah. And I think it's important that, that that can be critical as well if you're seeing a part of it that I didn't see. Right. Like, and here, I might be attacking one of your sacred cows. I don't mean that, but I hope you'll hear that my point is that you can still love it. Like you, I saw Ghostbusters as a young kid. It is still one of my absolute favorite movies. There are lines from it that I can still quote entire scenes from, and if someone mentions it, I am absolutely in love. And I watched it uh, with a woman I was dating maybe like 10 years ago, and she'd never seen it before. And, you know, and I, I noticed she was not having a very positive experience about it. And I was like, okay. And like kind of about, you know, we finished the movie and I, I asked her like, hey, I, I got the sense you didn't really love that. What's going on? And she's like, Bill Murray is a stalker. He's a horrible, horrible person. And I was like, thinking about all the ways in which he treats the the Dana character and continually ignores her when she says that, you know, she's not interested. And I was like, you're right. You saw that movie in a light. And and I don't think that movie went out of its way to be sexist. I think it treated women characters the way a lot of movies in the 80s treated women characters, which is quite awful, to be clear. And when I saw it as a six-year-old, I missed that entirely. And because of that, watching, I think, like, if I'd seen it for the first time today... I might have been bothered by it, but I saw it for the, but I still was like, you know what? I, I saw it through the eyes of that six-year-old who first watched it. Yeah. Now, after she said that to me, it changed my view of the movie. And then a year later, it was on cable or whatever, and I watched it again, and I still thought it was hilarious. And now I cringed a little bit more at the Bill Murray parts, uh, the, the romance parts, but, but it, it didn't like make me not like the movie anymore, but it also made me realize, wait a minute. There was a thing I was blind to about this movie yeah. that she pointed well, that, out that gives me a better understanding of this movie and also helps me understand why it's a part of the movie that is really not aged well. And, right. And we can have that conversation, but in a – because what she was never saying was like, you're a terrible person for liking this movie. She was just saying, hey, here's my experience of the movie and why I don't enjoy it the way you do. And that's perfectly – that's acceptable and that's fine. And that and like you said, that's a way for us to be critical of these characters and everything. You're not supposed to relate to all of these characters. I mean, one of, one of my biggest takeaways from um, the Ghostbusters franchise as a whole, which they have rectified now, pardon me, is Winston. 
Um, mm-hmm. And yet again, 80s, so I get it, but like street smart black guy doesn't need oh, to be yeah. the thing all the time. <laughs> like that's the one thing I loved about the comic continuations, which are supposed to be canon, but I'm not sure how much they are anymore. But um, Winston goes on to get his PhD as well in quantum physics in the comics. And he's also a scientist. Now, it looks like based on Afterlife, Winston goes on to be a booming businessman, which I love that they did that. And that's the way Ernie Hudson has talked about it. And he said his character needed to evolve. But then in Answer the Call, they did the same thing with Patty, with Leslie Jones's character, to where a street smart black woman where she wasn't a scientist. Mm -hmm. And that bothers me again. It doesn't take away from my overall enjoyment of the films, but it lets me be critical as an adult to watch these movies and go, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, like, you. Um, and it's the same thing with um, a lot of the way that black characters were treated in, in media in the 80s and 90s. And like, again, I've said this, you know, to keep circling back to Power Rangers, the first time I saw Walter Jones outside of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers or Space Cases on Nickelodeon, outside of kid mm-hmm. shows, was on a cop drama to where he played a drug dealer. And I was like, wait a minute. That man's a superhero and you guys relegated him to a drug. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. That yep. again, doesn't take away from the actor for me, but it made me think a lot about things, even as a kid growing up. And I'm like, this doesn't make any damn sense. Like, why are we getting these roles all the time? And then I had the, a similar conversation with somebody about Luke Cage to where they didn't like the character of Scarf, the crooked cop, because the only white guy in the show was a bad guy. And I was like, welcome to my life. Yeah. Typically, when we are background characters or secondary characters, we're the bad guy or we're the crooked mm-hmm. cop or we're the drug dealer or we're the gangbanger or we're the abusive husband or boyfriend. We're the cheater. Right. We're the whatever. So to see that and to see a show to where it's like, huh. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. Luke was a little bit of a womanizer, not a little bit, a lot of it. That's that's the character. Um, yep. <laughs> but, but I totally understand why Scarf was the bad guy in Harlem. And I I had people that straight up told me, um, you know, I didn't see enough of myself in the show as as white people. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's because it's in Harlem. I don't know if you know this about Harlem, (laughs) but there are white people, but Harlem is a majority ethnic area. That's Mm -hmm. why you see the majority of ethnic people. And a lot of people missed the fact that Alfre Woodard's, uh, um, Black Mariah was incredibly prejudiced when she yeah. was, uh, you know, talking about opening the hospital and shaking the hands of little kids, little kids. She immediately sanitized her hands after touching little white kids immediately. Yeah. And that stuck out to me because I was like, I've had white people do that to me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So to see this black woman do it, like you're supposed to hate the character and she was a great villain. But I was like, I think a lot of people are going to miss that subtlety. And like you said, yeah. sometimes you need to be beat over the head with it. And I think toward the end of season two, when she actually is straight up evil, you get that beating over the head of, of who she is. And you're like, oh, shit, this is the way she's been the entire time. But yeah. I think that um, you're supposed to be you're supposed to take critical view of all of these characters. Yeah. And uh, that was, again, a lot of the argument with Killmonger for Black Panther, too, to where people are like, oh, he should be the Black Panther. And I'm like, he's a whole villain. He's a bad yeah. guy. No, well, he should because to me, one of the whole point, as you were saying, like Black Panther, the first Black Panther was a chance to tell a story about what would a black world that hadn't been touched by white supremacy be like. And in many ways, I think one of the tragedies of 
the first Black Panther movie is that Killmonger is like in some ways it's not that Killmonger is an evil, horrible person. It's that he is the person who's been really touched and hit by white supremacy and and how that's affected him and that it's there's a tragicness to him. And that's part of why, like this is going way back. We were talking earlier about Killmonger and Magneto. I think one of the things that unites them and this is becoming a trend more and more with some villain characters is by the end of the movie, the hero thinks they were right. Yeah. You know, no, that, that like T'Challa is like, I disagree with what Eric was doing, but everything he said about how Black Panther needs to stop being so walled off is wrong. And I'm going to go to the exact place that Eric is from of, you know, the the uh, downtown areas of Oakland and try and rescue, you know, try and do what Wakanda can to help the kids like Eric in the way that Eric never got. And, you know, same with a lot of times uh, Professor X winds up doing that with Magneto stuff. And... Oh, there's something else you said that I'm, oh yeah, and just going on with something else you said about Luke Cage. One of the things that I think those shows can do that I think I get why it so speaks to people in the community, but also so helpful to folks outside the community like myself is, like you said, it can it, it gets past the oh, you know, because all you ever see is the black character who's the drug dealer then yeah, that is part of what reinforces the stereotype in the minds of white people of that's how they see black people. As as you know, as I said, the, the Randall Park was saying, you know, if every time an Asian superhero is a martial artist, like that creates all of those kind of ideas. And to me, as someone who grew up, you know, my mother lived like she she's not doing well financially. And so she was basically as the Upper West Side, the, the Upper West Side uh, butts up against Harlem in New York City. And she was basically always like just on the line of it. And as the Upper West Side would expand further and, and gentrifying some parts of Harlem, and that's a whole other story that's really problematic that we can talk about. But she was always getting pushed north and north. And so I always lived on the edge of parts of Harlem and, and had a lot of experience in that community, although obviously not within the community. But one thing that I was very well aware of is that there were, you know, a number of distinct communities within what people would just call the black community. But one of the biggest separations was between African-American and Caribbean-American, and that the Caribbean-American immigrants often saw themselves very differently as the people who were the descendants of slaves in, in here in the United States, and that there was a lot of community tension about that. And that community tension is a fundamental part of Luke Cage season two. And I, was, I loved that, and I loved listening to black creators talk about that, about like, yeah, this is a, this is a, this is a, a dichotomy within black communities that white people don't see. And that there are differences there between the people who see America as the country they came to as with a hopeful immigration story versus the people who were kidnapped and taken here, their ancestors, and that's their experience of America. And that, and I'm I'm briefly summarizing it, but I like to me that was such a brilliant part of that show that it made plain for the people who don't see that of like, no, this isn't one monolithic community. Right. <coughs> Absolutely. Um, and again, like you still need to, to look at the nuance and things, and you still need to look at the, the minutiae and these characters and these settings and these worlds and realize that sometimes everything ain't about you. Yeah. As a fan, everything ain't about you. You might not see yourself in a character, but you don't need to see yourself in every character. It is absolutely nice, and representation matters, and I love it. Like I said, go back and look at little kids watching these things. And realize why representation is so important. Yeah. But as a fan and as a fandom, the, re the ways we need to do better are to 
realize that not everything is for us. You don't have to love everything. You don't have to like everything. Move on. Like, seriously, move on. Dislike what you want to dislike. I don't need a 10-page essay, you know, double-spaced MLE format about it. Like, I don't care. Like, you can post, hey, I didn't like blah, 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 blah. I had somebody spoil Endgame, dude. The, The week it came out, I had somebody spoil it on Facebook. I don't even know why I was friends with this guy. (laughs) <laughs> and he complained about, he's like, smart Hulk, and he dabs. And I was like, bro, the movie's been out for an hour. What is wrong with you? Yeah. And I deleted and blocked him. Like, I, I'm, you, okay, cool, you don't like it. You don't have to spoil the experience for everybody else. It is not our job as fans to do that. It is not our responsibility to spoil the, the experience for everybody else. Let somebody find out they don't like something. Maybe they'll yeah. like it anyway. Just because you don't like it. My wife and I don't see eye to eye on every TV show. I will say she's gotten me into Desperate Housewives lately. And <laughs> I dislike it because I love it so much. I can't, every time she's got it on, I'll be out of the room and I'll come in the room with like a snack or something and sit down like it. Oh, so we watching Desperate Housewives? Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, but Look, I, I walked in the room one day. I, I ended the podcast early and my spouse looked stricken because she was watching Too Hot to Handle. <laughs> <laughs> and I started watching it so that I could make fun of her for watching it. And then I was like, and I sat down with her and we watched it and we watched like binge seasons of it, you know? So I'm all with you about that. We've had a great conversation. We could go on so much longer, which tells me I'm going to have you on as a guest again. But let me just ask kind of, is there any last parts about uh, the blurred experience or your thoughts on fandom or kind of any other like last questions or points you want to bring up? Before uh, we, I mean, before we close? I guess really what it comes down to is enjoy the things you enjoy. Let others enjoy the things they enjoy. Uh, and, uh, to, to be absolutely blunt, don't be a dick about the things you like, you know, like, and love what you want to, but let people enjoy what they want to and don't be hateful because they like something that you don't. Yeah. Or cause I think that's the thing is like, be solid enough in your feelings as a fan that other people either liking it or disliking it doesn't challenge you. Because I'm sure you've seen this as well, is like, there's the thing that you don't like, maybe because you think like there's some racism or some sexism in it, or maybe because you just think the acting is bad. And people will be like, oh my God, you know, you're not a real fan if you don't love every version of Power Rangers or whatever. Like, allow for both. Give, like, let people have space to to experience their feelings on something. (laughs) If you think there's problems with it, point that out. But also let people enjoy the things they're going to enjoy and let people not enjoy the things they don't like. Right. Absolutely. And that, that's that's really like you said, like you're not going to like everything. Um, you yeah. know, we're we're what, 27 movies into the MCU now. I haven't liked all of them. Yeah. You don't have to. It's fine. Nobody's making you. We are 12 Fast and Furious movies in now. I don't like all of them. For, uh, yeah. for some odd reason, there's a fourth Expendables movie coming out. I'm going to watch it. I, I didn't like three. I'm going to watch four. <laughs> But you don't have to like all of it. And then if you think you're not going to like it, don't consume it. <laughs> I haven't seen yeah. The Meg because I think it looks stupid. I love Jason Statham. I'm not watching those movies. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You know what? Yeah. But just well, thank- enjoy the things you enjoy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on here. Um, we're going to have a, a brief section for our patrons, which is also now our members. Uh, I have not talked about this much, but... These podcasts have, you probably may have noticed, have moved entirely over to the truestory.fm community. Uh, and so uh, I'm kind of phasing out Patreon. If you are a patron already, you're going to get a free month of membership. But the best way now is you can sign up to become a member of this podcast uh, uh, on the True Story FM. All the links are in the show notes. 
And if you do that, it's either $5 a month or $55 for the whole year. Save five bucks. You get bonus content. You get access to a lot of uh, Discord conversations. Um, and you get the bonus content. You get ad-free content, all the great things. And mostly, you get to know that you're helping support this podcast. And as I was doing with Patreon, uh, because uh, I really want to help support the strike and all we can, 25% of any money that we get from those membership fees is all going to go to the strike fund that's helping the actors, the writers. And not only them, it's helping the the hairstylist, it's helping the makeup artist, it's helping the people who, you know, the guy who owns the pizza shop that <coughs> used to deliver pizzas all the time to the studio and now doesn't have any business because no one's at the studio. Like, this fund is helping all those people. So please consider becoming a member. Please consider going to, you know, we love audience feedback. What did you think of this episode and everything that uh, Cage Bishop had to say? Go to our website, go to the show notes. You can find our email, our Twitter, our TikTok, all the ways to contact us. We love feedback. But most importantly, I hope that you've, as I have, listened to all the things that uh, my guest has had to say. You want to know more about what they're doing. So, uh, Dave, just tell me as uh, we finish up, where places people can find all you and all the great stuff you're doing. All right. So if you want to check me out on TikTok, which is my primary, I am caged underscore bishop underscore cosplay on TikTok. Uh, you can find my show, Perception Blurred, Why Not? That is Perception, B-L-E-R-D, Y apostrophe N-O-T on all major podcast platforms. Um, just search that. Uh, I have a segment called Unapologetically Blurred, which is just about the blurdy experience. Perception Blurred is more about the experience of a black man um, in the world currently. And um, we, I did a spinoff show with my best friend and my wife and my daughter called Tables, Ladders, and Dice, where we talk about professional wrestling. And I swear we're going to get to tabletop gaming at some point in time. Just wrestling's been really hot right now, so we've been talking about that. You can find that nice. all on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you find podcasts, we're there. Yeah, I've got an episode coming up about wrestling that I definitely want to get you on for if you're up for it. And oh, I'm down. I'll commit now. Uh, when the strike ends, we can talk about that media again. I'm doing an episode on Power Rangers, so we'll definitely get you on for that as well. Oh, yeah. I also want to say that uh, I'll, I'll give a, a warning here. No, I'll, I'll give a spoiler here. Um, I don't know if it'll be any good, but given what you said about that, like, you know, you'd come up to me if I was in the wheelchair doing uh, a, Ry uh, a Riker cosplay. At some point in time, it might take me years, but I've got to do a Riker cosplay because what is one of the defining things about Riker that we all love to laugh at? He doesn't know how to sit, get into a chair normally. So I have to do one yes, about do. weird ways of getting into my wheelchair in a Riker <laughs> cosplay. So it's going to happen sometime. I don't know when. And I'll give all the credit to my friend Cage Bishop. So thank you so much for being a guest. Uh, to all of our members, we're going to have more discussion with Cage Bishop about cosplay in just a second. To everyone else, thank you so much for listening. We have spoken.